0: Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer.
1: A fascinating hour ahead of us today. We spend the hour aboard the future USS Iowa, so to speak. The new $2 billion submarine is now near completion, being built in a shipyard on the East Coast. The christening of the USS Iowa is expected to take place early next year. In fact, former Iowa First Lady Christy Vilsack will wield the champagne bottle on that occasion at the General Dynamics Electric Boat Shipyard in Connecticut. Now, the Iowa is the 24th of 37 planned Virginia-class submarines, and these are our nation's newest and uh, most versatile nuclear fast attack submarines. And the Iowa, though, will have an important distinction. It will be the first of these $2 billion vessels specifically equipped to accommodate female crew members. And we'll have a crew member of the future USS Iowa joining us in just a few minutes. In fact, Lieutenant Taylor Boosman will join us from uh, the East Coast, uh, where she, I understand, is training uh, as the nav for the future USS Iowa. Uh, In the meantime, let's talk with Caleb Schneider. He is a submarine veteran, a resident of Tiffin, He's a former Navy Petty Officer First Class, spent nine years in the Navy, five years on the USS California. Now, that is the, also the same Virginia-class sub as the USS Iowa, uh, something like over 1,000 days at sea. He's in the studio with me, Caleb Schneider. Welcome to our program.
2: Well, Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
1: Listeners, join us. This is your chance to ask questions about life aboard a modern U.S. submarine and your questions about the future USS Iowa, one 780 one 866 780 or email us river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Caleb, if you could tell us more about this Virginia-class submarine. It's uh, what is it like? It's, it's
2: dimensions. Let's start there. All right. So it's approximately 370 feet in length, uh, sits about 30 feet in the water. Um, and it's, it, it's equipped with all sorts of different, or different types of weapons, uh, offensive and other capabilities that we might not be able to talk about on the air today. Um, inside the boat, uh, there's three levels. You could equate that to uh, a three-story home, Um, And the boat is split into two halves, the forward half um, and then the back aft uh, end is for the engineering and nuclear reactor support equipment. Mm -hmm. So most of the crew is in the front half. That is correct. That's where the the living spaces and uh, eating spaces uh, are going to be. The back half is uh, specifically for working. So if you're not working, you typically are not going to be back there.
1: Okay. So just shy of 400 feet in length um, and three stories high, uh, cylindrical, and a little bit longer than a football field. So I'm getting a picture of that. That's a large, large vessel. (laughs) What does it feel like
2: inside? You've been there so many days. That is true. Uh, however, there are no windows. Most people think uh, submarines have windows. They do not. Uh, You're only in, glimpse... Jules, in Jules
1: Verne's version, they do. Exactly. <laughs> the
2: Nautilus, yeah. Uh, typically, a typical day uh, consists of three, three sections, uh, eight hours each. Um, so you'll, you'll stand your watch for eight hours. The next eight hours will be dedicated to maintenance and catching up on qualifications or having some downtime. And then your final eight hours would be for rest and, and recuperation prior to the next day starting. And you kind of rinse and repeat that until you come home. Mm-hmm. And th- these are amazing vessels. How long can a vessel like this stay submerged if needed? The only limiting factor here is going to be food. So if we're planning on going out for an extended period of time, uh, we will outfit with, with additional food to extend the, uh, the amount of time for upwards of 100 days if needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- 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 tell us a little bit about your role, because I forgot to mention you are the executive
1: director of the USS Iowa Commissioning Committee. Uh, what is that committee set up for? What do you? What's your goal there?
2: There's three primary focus areas for the commissioning committee, and that's to raise awareness across our state, uh, raise support across our state, and also to raise money. Um, and the money specifically is going to. Uh, To support crew visits, so we've brought the crew members back to the state of Iowa for lots of different Iowa-specific events, like the State Fair and RAGBRAI, and that allows bonding with the crew uh, that's going to be representing our state for over 30 years. Mm so the, the fundraising is an, a unique aspect, and we're looking for local Iowa businesses to help us uh, to help us get to our goal.
1: Okay, so fundraising. I mean, we, we understand this is paid for by the Department of Defense. It's our taxpayer money. Why would there need to be extra fundraising?
2: The Navy doesn't particularly pay directly for the, the large events that occur, for the large milestones that occur for the commissioning of a submarine. Um, and that's part of where the commissioning committee will help out. Um, In in conjunction with the ship sponsor, uh, we're we're geared towards supporting the families and the crew members of the submarine um, to kick them off and to set them in the right direction since they're going to be supporting our state for so long.
1: Okay. If you'd like to ask a question of Caleb or our next guest, um, they are... Submariners or Submariner, I was uh, told both of those pronunciations are acceptable these days, one 780 780 or email us river-to-river at iowapublicradio.org. Uh, joining me and Caleb now, Lieutenant Taylor Boosman uh, is with us, joining us from, I assume, Connecticut. Uh, Lieutenant Boosman, welcome to the program.
3: Hi, thanks so much.
1: Well, thank you for joining us and uh, also extend thanks uh, to your superiors for. I understand you're breaking away from some training, being allowed to join us live here in Iowa. We sure appreciate uh, that. You uh, have also the title uh, of the NAV. Uh, now, tell us, what is the NAV? NAV
3: is short for Navigator. So uh, that's like the traditional title most people use, but I'm the Navigator and the Operations Officer. And I'm overall responsible for the safe navigation of the ship, the preparation of our charts and our plans of how to get from A to B safely, as well as our communications, our computer systems, and our cybersecurity.
1: That's a lot of responsibility. Wow. Um, who is uh, who, so, so give us a little sense of the top hierarchy in, in the subcommand there. Where are you in it?
3: Sure. So we have the captain, the commanding officer, uh, and then he has his right-hand man is the executive officer that we call the, C, the XO. Uh, we have the COB is the senior enlisted person on board, and those three form the triad. So that's the triad is the overall leadership. And then below them, they have four department heads, which is myself, the NAV. Uh, we have the weapons officer, the engineer officer, and the supply officer that we call the CHOP. Um, each of us has also has a right-hand man That's the senior enlisted advisor of our department. And then below us, junior officers and about 100 uh, sailors.
1: Lieutenant Boosman, we have, what, about 130 crew, uh, fully crewed? That's right. Okay. So, um, may I ask, you You broke away from from training to join us here for for a few minutes for this hour, Um, uh, and of course, Caleb already mentioned, and and as anyone can guess, there are aspects of of your work and this submarine that we can't discuss on the air, but we'd like to find out uh, a little bit about your your training. What can you tell us about what you've you've been doing the last few days to prepare for for taking um, this great responsibility?
3: Absolutely, Uh, we do a lot of training here, as you can imagine, um, training and qualifications, as well as the construction of the ship. Those are really our focuses. And the training is twofold. Uh, Part of it is getting our crew ready to go to sea safely as a crew that's never operated um, together. And additionally, a lot of us will go and support other deploying operational submarines. So at any time, uh, we can kind of send our sailors out to get experience and also support the other uh, submarines that need an extra watch for their operations as well. So we're just trying to maintain all those skills and build our teams um, as the future USS Iowa that's going to go to sea. So um, we did a little bit of uh, piloting, so operating on the surface, kind of what we would do to come – to leave uh, our home port and come back and return, uh, engineering, we had some engineering training, and then um, a couple hours of classroom training. So some, some time in different simulators as well as uh, classroom training to
1: fill so, that in. So like a flight simulator, you have a sub-simulator you sit in, and it, it looks more or less like uh, the, the space you'll occupy uh, when the USS Iowa is, is out to sea.
3: We do, and we actually have several, because as you can imagine, we're not the only uh, submarine in town here. So we have different ones set up for different kind of uh, team groups, different watch teams to practice different skills. So some of them simulate being on the surface and operating. Others simulate being submerged and operating. Others are for ship control, and they'll actually uh, – that room is on hydraulics and will move, just like the ship would kind of uh, move, change its angle. Um and then we have engineering trainers uh, and things that are more specific for kind of maintenance and operation of the different engineering systems. So quite a few.
1: As I mentioned at the outset, uh, uh, Lieutenant Bootsman, uh, the USS Iowa is, is the first sub uh, of this class designed with female crew in mind. It's not just retrofitted to fit female crew. Uh, tell us the significance of that and, and what that actually means.
3: So what that'll mean for Iowa um, specifically is that the crew, so some different Virginia-class submarines have female officers on board, but we're designed to initially, from the beginning, be integrated with officers and enlisted crew members. So the major differences there will really be uh, some of the birthing configurations, how our chiefs' quarters, so this will be the first integrated, chief, uh, initially integrated chiefs' quarters, that that's split into two to be able to have female uh, senior enlisted uh, personnel Inside the Chiefs' quarters, it really comes down to birthing and then uh, restrooms. Mm-hmm. Frankly,
1: so the enlisted crew. So, will the the Iowa be the the first sub of its type to have enlisted crew, female enlisted crew?
3: We'll be the first sub to have female enlisted crew from from the time of commissioning.
1: Mm. Okay, I wonder, and I want to get Caleb's input on this too because he's had so much experience on subs like this uh, before this milestone of of accommodating females from the Um, get-go. Do um, you—let me turn to Caleb, first of all. So so when was your first uh, experience on a Virginia-class sub?
2: That would have been 2013.
1: 2013. So you're dealing with an all-male crew.
2: That's correct. When I was on the USS California, we were uh, an all-male crew hmm And the culture of an all-male crew, uh, uh, can you imagine that changes when you introduce females? Uh, I think maybe a little bit, but overall, uh, we're all dedicated to the mission at hand, right? So we're, we're there to serve a, as a component of a team, and I think everybody understands that. Uh, and I'm sure that the NAV can talk to that. That's the mindset of the Iowa and uh, not a whole lot changes there. I'm mm-hmm. uh, sure the, the logistics of, of sleeping arrangements changes, but uh, outside of that, the, the watch sections and the, the mission first mindset is still going to be there.
1: Yeah. Lieutenant Boosman, tell us a little bit about your prior experience because this this is definitely not your first rodeo.
3: Right, yeah, and I always say I've never been on an all-male crew, so I can't speak that well to the difference between an all-male and an integrated crew. As soon as I step on board, it's uh, it's considered integrated, whether that's permanently or temporarily. My first submarine I was on was the USS Maine, which was one of the very first integrated submarines when females initially enter- entered the submarine force. So by the time I would gotten there, there had been females on board three, four, five years. Everybody was very used to it. Um, Same thing here at Iowa. We haven't even been commissioned yet, and we've already had females from the very beginning. What we have done as a PCU and needing to get operational experience is that I and some of the other female officers have gone out on other submarines in the area, which are not integrated, so we'll kind of be the first females there. And as far as I can tell, yep, they have to change the birthing arrangements. They usually make a flip sign for the restroom, like a Velcro front and back that says male or female, so we just flip that based on whoever's in there. Uh, using using the showers or whatever it may be, and other than that, the crews have been uh, very supportive. Uh, they've accepted us right into the team like we're anybody else. And like Caleb said, it's very mission centered. So um, even if there's nervousness, it falls away because we're so busy. Uh, you just want somebody to support the watch bill and help with the workload on their way. Operate safely, uh, so that goes away pretty quickly.
1: Two submariners with us this hour, uh, Lieutenant. Uh... Taylor Boosman, the NAV uh, for the future USS Iowa in training on the East Coast, joining us live. And uh, submarine, uh, submarine veteran Caleb Schneider. He spent uh, nine years in the Navy, five of it on the USS California. one 780 or email us river-to-river at iowapublicradio.org. Uh, Ron is joining us. Uh, good afternoon to you, uh, Ron. Uh, you have a question for our uh, submariners. Thank you all. How far can whatever weapons are on an attack submarine fly over land and over land and water? Um, if you can't talk about current technology, remember the subrock and ASROC nuclear weapons that were deployed back in the early '80s. Um, my underlying thought is if one of these subs is in the uh, Yellow Sea, Barents Sea or Baltic Sea, could it reach
2: Pyongyang, Beijing or Moscow with a multi-kiloton warhead?
1: Mm. Okay Ron, much. we'll see the the depth we can get into that um, uh, Lieutenant Boosman, would you like to tackle that what can be said in answer?
3: I would love to toss that one to uh, FT1 Caleb, actually, if I could.
2: Caleb, what can you tell us? All right, so I do have experience with the uh, offensive weapons on a submarine. Um, However, it's pretty well understood that the standard armament for a Virginia-class submarine um, is is going to be a Tomahawk cruise missiles. Um, So without talking about the specific capabilities of those missiles, I'm sure you can look around online and and find some details. Um, However, the the USS Iowa and other Virginia-class submarines are capable of carrying uh, a healthy number of those types of weapons.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to ask uh, to follow up with Ron's question there, and, you know, it may be clear, but make it even clearer for us, broadly speaking, uh, Lieutenant Boosman, how are a sub's capabilities different from a surface ship? Uh, namely, you are, you are hidden or hope to be hidden, and uh, uh, others are, are seeking to detect you. Um, and so how is it different than being on a surface ship?
3: Yeah, I think uh, you kind of hit the nail on the thing. Is um, the ability to aspect uh, to access different areas of the world undetected? That's what we train for: is to operate anywhere in the world. Um, obviously, we have certain limitations; can't go inside other countries' uh, waters and depth restrictions, some things like that. But um, to, to be able to access areas without being detected, remain submerged for long periods of time. That's kind of what we practice. How much of, of what we do can we do, uh, and how stealthily can we do it?
1: Mm-hmm. Caleb Schneider, in your experience, can you say roughly how much of the time? You spent over a 1,000 days on the USS California in total. Uh, when you're in service... Um,
2: Uh, how much of the time are you traveling at the surface compared to submerged? The only times that we're going to be on the surface is uh, primarily when we're coming or going from a port. So if we're leaving our home port, let's say it was in Connecticut, uh, like mine was for many years, um, the goal is to get submerged uh, because that's when we are most capable and stealthy. Um, so the the goal there is to minimize the time. So a handful of hours to get under the surface of the water, slip below and uh, not to be seen from again until we pop back up again. Mm-hmm. I guess this is perhaps the
1: movies in my mind that I've seen about submarines, you know, popping up and some of the crew at least getting up on the, on the walking on the deck. Does that happen actually?
2: It does on occasion. Uh, Every once in a while we'll have the opportunity to do a swim call. So whether we're in the middle of the ocean or somewhere preferably warm, uh, we will get the opportunity to go for a dip in the ocean uh, with nobody around and uh, have a little bit of fun and just enjoy the unique experience because not many folks get to experience that.
1: Wow, okay. So we have a a listener who wants to know about, um, you know, being submerged days. You could be submerged for weeks. how do you get um, you know
2: sunshine to keep you <laughs> healthy mentally, for instance, uh, do you get any sunshine? When we're submerged, definitely not. Um, especially for for like a, a Virginia class submarine like the Iowa, uh, even the traditional periscope that you're probably familiar with in the movies, uh, that's no longer a thing. Um, it's a photonics mast that is operated with a a joystick. Um, and Wait, what does that mean? Okay, so we don't have this tube that sticks up above the water and, and looks around with one eye. That is correct. Um, it's, it's effectively a camera on the top of a pole that we're able to raise out of the water and, and use that to look around.
1: Okay. Um, what can you tell us, Lieutenant Boosman, about, um, um, you know, sunlight, artificial light? Do you have that in, in the sub as well?
3: Yeah, so I always joke that there's a few good sources of vitamin D. The first one that we lose is sunlight. The second that we lose is green vegetables. And the third (laughs) that we lose is milk when we go to powdered milk. So, um, you know, we can bring uh, sort of daily multivitamins. They have done some interesting experiments um, on submarine crews using kind of like blue light glasses and wearing the glasses during different times of the day to kind of uh, mimic what the body would experience on land with changes in light in terms of improving our sleep quality. Uh, But that's not anything that's widespread. But um, the submarine community is used sometimes as a a good uh, research opportunity for things like that. Sunlight, any chance we can get it is very exciting. But that's uh, like Caleb has said, when we're operating on the surface, which would primarily be when we're.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, A listener wants to know.
3: New people on board is.
1: Okay, you cut out for a minute uh, there, Lieutenant, uh, but we'll continue here. If you're hearing me... Uh, uh, the majority of us are staying down below. Okay. Uh, Caleb, this one to you. A listener wants to know how long it takes to acclimatize to land to avoid decompression, sickness, and the bends. Is that a concern?
2: Uh, it's really not a concern, um, and that's due to the fact that the atmosphere inside the boat, we, we keep very similar to the atmosphere anywhere else that you would expect. Um, so typically, the bends would be associated with uh, pressure, sickness, uh, specifically nitrogen in your blood from from being at extreme pressure for a long period of time, whereas the submarine, um, the pressure is relatively unchanged. Uh, there's a small difference. Every once in a while, we will be able to feel it. Um, but for the most part, that's really not a concern.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um Lieutenant Boosman, we're sure glad to have you with us this hour, breaking away from your training for the future USS Iowa. Uh, we have 30 seconds before we go to break. What's top of mind for you right now as a concern of a, a lieutenant? And I understand uh, you're, you're set to be a lieutenant commander soon. Uh, what's top of mind for you?
3: Top of mind for me is building my team. We just got a new assistant navigator, ANAV, so that's huge for us. And we're about to get a lot of our people back from sea to start training with the actual watchstanders in the teams that will go, uh, to sea. So that's the,
1: that's my biggest priority. Okay. Please, please stay with us. Uh, Lieutenant Taylor Boosman, uh, Lieutenant and selected for Lieutenant Commander. She's the nav navigator for the future USS Iowa, which is, um, near completion on the East coast in Connecticut. Also, we're grateful to have Caleb Schneider with us. He's a submarine veteran. Um, Been in the Navy for nine years. He separated, honorably discharged, five years on the USS California. That's the same uh, Virginia-class submarine that the USS Iowa is. And we keep saying the future USS Iowa, it hasn't been christened yet. It will get, what, uh,
2: Caleb a new. it will get its official name and its official number soon, next year, right? That's correct. Christening is scheduled for the first half of 2023, and approximately a year later, we're looking at the commissioning date.
1: Okay, we'll be back uh, with our two Submariners when we return. I'm Ben Kiefer. It's River to River from IPR News.
0: Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer.
1: Glad you're aboard on this edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. And when I say aboard, I actually mean it this hour, well, in our minds, that we are aboard the future USS Iowa, so to speak. It's the new $2 billion submarine nearing completion at, the sh- at a shipyard on the East Coast. Uh, former Iowa First Lady Christy Vilsack will uh, wield a champagne bottle to, to christen it in the coming months. I, the Iowa is the 24th of 37 um, uh, Virginia-class submarines. These are our nation's uh, newest, most versatile nuclear attack submarines. And we are fortunate to have this hour live with us uh, two submariners. Uh, Caleb Schneider, submarine veteran of many years, spent more than a thousand days at sea. On the USS California, that's the same Virginia class as the uh, future USS Iowa. And Lieutenant Taylor Boosman is with us. Uh, she is uh, the NAV for the future USS Iowa in training, and her superiors allowed her to, to break away from that training to join us for this hour. Join us with your questions about life aboard a modern U.S. submarine. One eight six six seven eighty ninety one hundred river to River at iowapublicradio.org. I think our listeners, uh, Caleb, would be uh, interested, many of them, in how to follow the progress of the USS Iowa uh, in the coming weeks and months.
2: Absolutely. So we do have a newsletter that we send out via email, and uh, anyone is willing and welcome to uh, sign up for that uh, through our website, which is ssn797.com. Uh, You can find uh, updates for the construction process of the boat, uh, other events for the the crew coming back to the state and visiting, um, and any other newsworthy events that we've got going on in the near future uh, can be found there as well as our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you search for USS Iowa, uh, you'll be able to find us there as well. Mm-hmm. And Caleb is not only a submarine veteran, but also executive
1: director of the USS Iowa Commissioning Committee, which we talked a little bit about in the first part of the program. Caleb, tell us about the history of the three pre—this is the 4th US USS—will be the fourth USS Iowa when it's christened. Uh, tell us a little bit about the history of the,
2: the previous three. So the, the USS Iowa SSN 797, that's the designator for the submarine that we're all talking about today, um, Is it's a bit unique compared to its predecessors. Um, all three of the prior USS Iowas were battleships, so surface vessels far different from a, from a submarine. Uh, the first one being BB-4 uh, in the late 1800s, uh, had a fairly short life uh, before it was decommissioned. Uh, there was BB-53, which ended up being scrapped and canceled before the construction was even complete. So we're mm. confident that the, the submarine USS Iowa will not face <laughs> that same fate. Um, we're, we're definitely confident in saying that. And then BB-61, uh, the big stick or the gray ghost, it has many uh, monikers there, uh, had a very uh, historic Uh, life, which started back in World War II. So 1943 is when it was first commissioned, and it was decommissioned for the final time uh, in 1990. So it served in World War II, uh, the Korean War, and it's now a a museum that's free for all Iowa uh, citizens to to go visit out in Los Angeles.
1: And that is true. Not too many years ago, I happened to be in Los Angeles And I took a tour of the USS Iowa, the battleship, uh, decommissioned in 1990 um, after, um, what, uh, so many years in service and so much history. That floating museum out there uh, is uh, is actually free to anyone who has a valid current Iowa driver's license. You don't even need to pay the fee there. So there's an interesting bit uh, if you happen to be in California in the L.A. area. Uh, I want to go back to you, uh, Lieutenant uh, Boosman, talk a little bit more because, you know, whenever I've mentioned this and this upcoming show specifically to people, a common reaction is I could never do that. I could never be submerged for days and weeks. Um, how do you get accustomed to that? How does the Navy determine if you're suited for serving aboard a sub like this?
3: There is a little bit of screening that goes into it um, early in the submarine accession pipeline. Uh, All of the officers, at least um, FG1 can speak from his experience, but have to take a a screening uh, exam kind of that goes through some different indicators. um, And then, if necessary, go see a psychologist to kind of dig into any answers that might get flagged. Uh, But beyond that, Uh, It's something that we just get accustomed to. I I know it sounds funny, but you know we're very adaptable. And um, if people truly have claustrophobia, uh, it's something that they notice kind of right away, um, as far as my understanding of it goes. You Uh, you didn't
1: experience that your first time out, Lieutenant.
3: I did not. No, I didn't. We we kind of get used to it a little bit because you go to work on board, and even when you're when you're in port and you can leave at the end of the day, you're still inside. There's still no windows. You're kind of in the same small enclosed space, so it allows you to get accustomed a little bit, but sometimes people show up and their very first day, they go down the hatch and the boat submerges, uh, so it can really go either way.
1: Mm. Have you seen people take an immediate dislike to it and that this is not my cup of tea?
3: I have not, thankfully. Uh, I'd feel very bad for that person if that were the case, but it's nothing I've um, seen
2: before. Caleb, have you witnessed that? I have. Uh, there's been a few instances where new crew members will show up to the boat, and uh, I guess panic starts to set in of, holy cow, what have I signed myself up for? Um, and one thing to note is the submarine service is all volunteer. Um, so everybody that serves on board a submarine signed a waiver and acknowledged that, hey, I'm here under my own will. Um so I think that's something that's useful to, to understand when, when you're talking about the psychological and uh, those types of aspects of submarine life.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you noticed, Caleb, there are certain types of people who thrive serving on a sub? Uh, I mean, could you take someone off the street and within a few minutes determine if they're likely to be a, a sub person or, or, or is that just something you have to experience to know?
2: I think it's just something you have to experience to to truly understand. And like Lieutenant was saying, uh, I actually, when I first joined the USS California, they flew me out to Florida. And within uh, about two hours of landing, I was down on the boat and uh, we were getting ready to leave the next morning. So I had a very short turnaround of uh, get your stuff or hopping on a plane and you're going to be on the boat in no time.
1: They They want to know very, very quickly if you're suited for this. I guess so. Right. It sounds to me like a little bit like doctors in training. The the very first thing you do when you get a medical degree, one of the first things is work with a cadaver. If you can't do that, uh, well, maybe this is not your profession. <laughs> it sounds like. Um, <laughs> let Let me toss out some uh, some uh, e- emails uh, from our listeners. This is from uh, one of our listeners, Sam, and I'll I'll uh, uh, direct it towards you, Lieutenant Boosman. Uh, Sam writes: I grew up in a Navy family and heard lots of stories about pranks the crew would play on each other and officers, like a plane party. Uh, I want—I'm wondering what you uh, experience your experiences with uh, that on a more inclusive crew. Sam says, "Oh,
3: absolutely! Yeah, pranks are a part of life. It's just uh, as an." Uh a submerged crew underway for many many days. At some point, we run out of um, movies or get tired of uh, watching TV shows. So uh, that's definitely a thing. I there's plenty of pranks you can do that are uh, good for for integrated crews. I had a uh, one of the officers I, was, I served with on my first tour. She um, she switched her uniform with her chiefs and changed all of the insignia so it looked just like his. So when he went to put it on in the morning, took all the other ones that he had away. It in no way fit, and I think he got nervous that he had gained a bunch of weight. <laughs> so, you know, things like that. So pretty harmless, but pretty entertaining for everybody who knows what's going on, just mm. to uh, watch the person's, uh, the gears turn. So mm-hmm.
1: stuff like that. Anything like that you've uh, witnessed, uh, Caleb, that you want to share?
2: So typically on a deployment, uh, which could range from, six or seven months uh, for a fast attack boat like the Iowa, at the, approximately the halfway point, we do uh, a special celebration of uh, marking the turn. Uh, we're on the downward uh, downward trend now for heading home. And that typically also includes a lot of antics and pranks of that nature. So one of the standard ones is uh, messing with some of the senior officers on the boat and uh, reallocating some of their doors or other possessions around the boat, which seems odd to most folks, but uh, it's all in good fun. And uh, we have to make our own entertainment out there because we don't have Netflix and you can't just call home. Right.
1: So, so how isolated are you, Lieutenant Boosman? How isolated are you? Um, can you stream Netflix? Uh, can you email your friends and family? Can you Zoom? Can you uh, do any sort of communication with the outside world?
3: So the simplest, perhaps, way to describe it is there's no new, there's nothing new. So you can't stream anything, call anyone, Zoom. Uh, You can download things ahead of time. On board, we have hard drives full of movies that we can watch. But there's no access to sort of new information other than what comes down to us through emails. But that email is not an everyday thing. So, you know, I can type up an email and send one a day. And then maybe once a week or so, all of those will get sent to, to my family uh, same for them. So they could send emails as frequently as they want. However, it's going to depend on the submarine and what we're doing operationally, how often we actually download all of those and get them.
1: So you can't keep, I mean, you have the ears of thousands of, of news junkies, I'll just put it that way. So you you cannot keep up on the news except uh, the, the information that is given to you um, from the Navy. Um, uh, there too. So how does, uh, Caleb, uh, in, in, in your thousand days at sea on the USS California, how do you experience the rise and fall of sort of international tension, which, you know, your submarine would play a, a role in? Uh, can, can you tell us anything about that? Uh, there are times when there's a greater degree of international tension among the, the major players than others.
2: Uh, that might be a bit more difficult uh, to truly understand because the messages that we're receiving that contain news and useful information like that are uh, very limited. So it may only be a sentence or two. Um, for example, when the Cubs won the World Series, uh, I was out and uh, my wife is a huge diehard Cubs fan. I can only imagine the excitement that she was experiencing. However, it came to me as just a one sentence statement that said the Cubs won the World Series. Uh <laughs> So that kind of gives you an example of, of how uh, limited the understanding can be on the other end. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the final 10 minutes, if you've just joined us uh, with Caleb Schneider, a submarine veteran, and Lieutenant Taylor Boosman. She's the future navigator for the, the future USS Iowa to be christened early in 2023, according to schedule. Uh, join us, 1-866-780-9100. Um, a listener wants to know, you said the, the only limit on how to stay Long to stay underwater. I assume this is what it is was food. Uh, the listener wants to: where does fresh water and oxygen come from? Uh, Lieutenant Boosman, you on this, please.
3: So we create both of those on board uh, from seawater. We have different systems uh, to purify the water for uh, showers, cooking, drinking, cleaning—all of that that we need—and then oxygen as well. We produce that on board.
1: Mm-hmm. So you can stay uh, under the water indefinitely, except the, the food, right?
3: That's right.
1: Yeah. And if you really get tired of fresh vegetables, that would be a reason to surface and find, find a port, I guess. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, another listener wants to know, uh, lack, of, lack of light, um, I guess this was sunlight, uh, has to impact sleep? Uh, Caleb, uh, what about the uh, impact on sleep, the ability to sleep and the quality of sleep you have on board?
2: I guess one good aspect of living on a submarine is uh, you work hard. Uh, so you whether it's your watch or your maintenance or your uh, after your watch, there's all sorts of duties and responsibilities that you have to do. So by the end of the day, um, you're pretty dang tired. So for me personally, i didn't uh, I didn't really experience many issues with falling asleep. And uh, one thing to note is the submarine is always operational. Uh, You're never shutting down. You're never taking a a true break. Uh, So there's always noise and things going on and and drills or training. Um, So you really need to manage your own schedule to the best of your ability to make sure that you're taking care of your your own uh, body by getting rest that you need.
1: Mm -hmm. I've spoken with uh, um, a veteran who served aboard a U.S. aircraft carrier and had his quarters uh, right below the flight deck. And there were evidently some huge spools, um, these uh, huge cables that catch the the aircraft that come in winding and unwinding and so forth. He said it was a a very difficult place to sleep. Uh, What is the noise uh, on, on a submarine, Caleb?
2: Ideally, it's very quiet. Um, that's the goal is the silent service is to be as quiet and stealthy as we can. Um, however, people still need to, uh, to operate and work. Um, for On the California, I lived in the torpedo room, strangely enough, for m- most of my time on the boat. Um, so there are people down there that are working and performing maintenance, and they're just working around. When you
1: say you lived in the torpedo room, that's where your quarters were.
2: That is correct. Mm-hmm. So adjacent to large torpedoes. That's exactly right.
1: Okay. You could see them or just knew they were there?
2: Oh, no. I was laying inches from them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They're exposed. They're right there. Exactly. Wow. Okay. Um, Tell us a little bit more about your duties. Uh, We found out from Caleb what his were on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Lieutenant Boosman, take us through what you will uh, say is is a typical day as the NAV for the future USS Iowa.
3: A typical day underway would be waking up about an hour and a half to two hours before I'm on watch. So generally watches are eight hours nowadays Uh, to tour, understand what's going on with the ship and be ready for our pre-watch brief. Then we brief our plan for the watch, eat, and then we relieve. So we have eight hours that we're standing the watch. We're physically standing in control, um, observing everything we're doing, navigating the ship, uh, you know, giving the course orders and Controlling any other maintenance that needs to go on, we do that for eight hours, and the next section will come and relieve us in our eight off-going hours. That's when we get our work done for the day. So, as a nav, you know, I'm going to have to attend engineering training. That's just part of life uh, for the submarine force. I can review any charts for upcoming water space that we have, upcoming tasking, kind of make operational plans, uh, and then all of my work. If I can get it done in that eight hours, you know, I might have. 30 minutes or so to um, to watch a show, to read a book before I sleep, in the six or so hours before I repeat all of that that I just described.
1: It, it, it occurs to me that, uh, Lieutenant Boosman, that you lose your sense of your, your track of time, or you may, because, I mean, out here in the civilian world or just on the surface, <laughs> on the land here, that we, we have, you know, first shift, second shift, third shift. Um, d- does that have a Let me direct this to you, Caleb. Does that have less of a meaning on a submarine? Because, I mean, if you're not on the surface, it doesn't matter if it's day or night, does it?
2: That's correct. And uh, we'll even adjust our clocks on the boat to all operate off of, uh, if it's local time where we're operating or home time, wherever we're coming from. Um, So everybody will be under the same impression of what time of day it is. However, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, What matters is your schedule in relation to other folks to make sure that you can support the watch bill, get the work done, and and do the mission that we're set out to do.
1: A listener wants to know, Caleb, what you miss most about life on a sub. You spent so many years doing it.
2: I think the relationships and, and bonds, friendships that you make, uh, you, you never forget those, and uh, it's like no other work environment. Uh, typically, a regular work environment, you go to work, you do your job, and you go home. Uh, you don't have that luxury, whether it's for good or for bad on a submarine, and uh, and you really truly get to have some incredible bonds with the people you serve with.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Lieutenant Boosman, what do you find most appealing about your service?
3: Yeah, I think I agree Um a hundred percent with what Caleb said, but just to throw out something else that's uh, a little different. It's really challenging work. It's always changing. We have new tasking all the time. We're constantly learning, evolving, improving. We focus a lot on kind of that self-critiquing, always striving to, uh, fighting to improve every day and get better. Uh, And that I think is is a great part of the submarine
1: force. Mm-hmm. And Caleb, over long deployments, what do you end up, or, or most crew members end up missing most? Uh, the lieutenant mentioned fresh vegetables. Okay, let's put off, the, uh, off to the side. What, what, what else do you? What do you most want to do once you get done with a deployment?
2: That's a hard one uh, because you're you're so secluded and kind of cut off from the world. And when you get back, you might not even really understand of what's going on, whether it's an election or there's just life goes on when when you're away. Um, so getting caught up and reintegrated back into your family, I think, is what most people uh, really focus on doing. Um, whether you've got small kids and you missed out on birthdays or holidays, yeah. um, those are some really important things that you'll you'll unfortunately never get back, but also uh, you should try to embrace and make up as much as you can.
1: And, and just to be clear, when you're deployed for weeks or months at a time, your family, your spouse, they don't know where you are they can't know you where you are and they have what zero communication from you
2: at times yes uh it could be several weeks even without uh without sending or receiving any emails at all with family yeah. or loved ones
1: yeah uh lieutenant Boosman, what about this isolation uh comment on how you cope with it um
3: i think honestly i think if I'll, I'll give the family some credit. I think it can be harder to be on the other side of it sometimes. I think on board, uh, you know, we, we get very close with our watch teams, with our coworkers. There's always people around. You know, there's not a lot of space where you can can be by yourself. So even though we're secluded, we're with other people. I think on the other side, the kind of wondering what's going on um, with the sailors and the, the gap that the sailors that go underway leave can be a lot more obvious Um as opposed to going underway, it's just a total shift, uh, constantly surrounded by new people, very busy doing stuff. So um, I think it could be, in a way, harder on, on the families.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, a Last question from one of our listeners. Dennis in Atama wants to know, Caleb, I'll pitch this to you. How often does it have to be fueled up? What is the overall speed? <laughs> what can you tell us there?
2: So the submarine is nuclear-powered, so the Virginia class was designed and engineered to not need to be refueled ever, Um, and its expected life is over 30 years. So it's going to be out there representing our state and defending our nation for over three decades without ever needing to be refueled. Uh, As far as speed, uh, in excess of 25 knots is the uh, publicly available information, um, and when we're on the surface, we're a little bit more limited on speed, and that's just because the submarine is not designed to uh, really operate when it's on the surface.
1: We have just enough time, Caleb, for you to remind us how people, listeners, can follow the progress of the U.S. the future USS Iowa. Absolutely.
2: So our website, which is S S N. 797.com. We have all sorts of newsletters, information, photos of upcoming and previous events, as well as social media. So Facebook and Instagram, if you search for USS Iowa, you'll be able to locate us on there and track any upcoming events.
1: Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Caleb Schneider, now a resident of Tiffin, uh, former Navy Petty Officer First Class, spent five years uh, in service with the USS California Virginia class, same as the future USS Iowa. and we are very appreciative of Lieutenant Taylor Boosman joining us uh, from Connecticut, uh, the future NAV, the NAv for the future USS Iowa. We wish you all the best in your training, and we hope perhaps we'll check back in with you uh, when we're a little bit further down uh, the line in, in uh, having the USS Iowa christened, uh, commissioned, uh, put in the water and so forth. Lieutenant
0: Boosman, thank you as well.
3: Thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.
1: Happy Thanksgiving.
0: This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer.
1: Today's River to River produced by Sam McIntosh with help from Caitlin Troutman. Our executive producer is Catherine Perkins. I'm Ben Kiefer. Thanks for joining us.